My name is Eugene Lipov. I'm a physician who started using Stellar Ganglion Block to treat PTSD and control the overactive sympathetic system, fight and flight system. We're going to be talking about that in the show as well as the impact on the mind and body that it does and what can be done about it and a way to reverse PTSD in 10 or 15 minutes. Stay tuned. Welcome. Here's what I'm curious about. Having grown up in a general environment of crime and violence and addiction, even as a child, I became fascinated by what drives human beings. I especially became fascinated by what happened to people who experience what I now understand as a trauma. Why is it that some people seem to at least cope, while others seem to never be able to come back in any way, shape or form? That the trauma became the defining moment of their lives. It wasn't until many years later that I actually realized that I'd grown up around a community of people who may not have served in the military, but they sure appear to have what we now know as PTSD. Well, that's what we're going to be sinking our teeth into today on this particular episode. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. I'm your host, Dove Baron. I am the Dragonist, and I'm here to find out today how we can really understand this thing called PTSD and how we can maybe get around it and, and understand that maybe it's not an all-time thing. So to find out more about how you can hire me as a speaker or strategist or executive advisor for yourself or your organization, simply go to dovebaron.com. All right, let's jump down into this episode. My guest today is a doctor that very few people know about, or at least, you know, should know compared to what should know about it. He has discovered what might be the greatest medical innovation since Dr. Jonas Salk back in 1953 announced the successful test for a vaccine for the polio virus. His website is eraseptsdnow.org. Dr. Eugene Lipov is a world-renowned board-certified anesthesiologist. Yes, I said the word. <laughs> physician, it's a, tongue, it's a tongue twister for me. He's a physician, a researcher who specializes in pain management. And as an anesthesiologist and medical researcher, he is one of the world's foremost experts on the effects of trauma on the nervous system and the fight or flight response and its effects on the human body. His research has earned him an invitation to testify before the U.S. House Committee on Veteran Affairs back in 2010. He has developed an innovative procedure, the, stel the stellate ganglion block, also known as SGB, which relieves PTSD patients from the suffering from the symptoms of those conditions and allowing them to live fuller lives without pain or overstimulated nervous systems. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me to welcome the man who is the bursting light of PTSD, Mr. Dr. Eugene Limov! <laughs> Good to have you. Why the intro? Thank you. So uh, we always like to start the show at the top of the show by asking one simple question. What is something that you find yourself presently most curious about? At this moment in time, what do you find that you're just 
like wow i wonder why what is it you're curious about why we cannot get people to think about trauma as a real condition so when you say that what does that mean to you i mean i i know where i go with it but i don't want to presume what, sure. what, what does that mean to you so what i what i mean is ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder the term has been used since 1980 and years before that uh, in fact about two millennia people have been describing symptoms similar to ptsd mm -hmm. in the modern age though we've had a number of scanners now available yep. to be able to scan people's brains yep and you can actually uh, validate and make sure that people who say they have PTSD symptoms actually have a brain change. Typically, you can see a lot of amygdala overactivation, which is a fight and flight part of the brain and fear and anxiety part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's still debate, does PTSD really exist? Is it real? Is it not real? And what uh, a friend of mine, Frank Ogberg, who's a very famous psychiatrist, wants to change the name of PTSD to PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. Injury, yeah. If that term can become highly used, I think it'll lead a few, to a few things. One, acceptance by the people that they have a real problem yeah. can then be treated, yeah. which is key. Yeah. Because if you're still doubting yourself, do you have it? I'm not sure. I don't know. That doesn't work so good. No. And also, if you start to look at research as biologically based, this in the 21st century, I cannot believe we're not talking about brain science of psychiatric conditions much yeah. more than we should. Yeah. And I, we're going to dive very deep into all of those subjects. You know, but what I want to bring up here, I mean, and of course, it's in context of what you just said. Um, you know that a friend of mine called me and said that he had met the doctor that had discovered that what he believed was the greatest medical innovation since Jonas Salk announced a successful vaccine for the for the polio virus. Why do you think that someone would say that? What, what are the implications of that? Because I know you wouldn't say that uh, I because I know you're 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 a humble man. But um, I'll talk to you a little bit about humble in a minute. But um, why do you think somebody would say that? Well, this I think is a bold it's, statement. It's a huge statement, and it's—I mean, it's—it makes me blush for one. Sure. Uh, and I—I I, I mean, I—I I think Salk was an amazing individual, but there are actually some similarities between Salk and utilization of Stella Ganglion block. So we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Right. But, uh, I believe the reason the statement was made is because he felt so much better. And a lot of times when he was living his life and he was highly successful, amazingly bright individual, amazingly gifted, but he thought his life would be like this forever. Right. So uh, that means you'd always be uncomfortable. You'll always be afraid of the next shoot to drop. You always feel unworthy. That's all part of symptoms of PTSD or PTSI. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's why he was so impressed with that and how fast it worked. I think ultimately, you know, proof is in the pudding. Does it yeah, work or does not? You could talk about a lot of things, but what does it really do? Yeah, well, you mentioned um, uh, Dr. Frank Alkelberg, and, you, you know, he's the guy who defined 
the term Stockholm syndrome, for those of you who don't know who he is, that term Stockholm syndrome, he's the one who did the definition of it for the FBI and for Scotland Yard. Um, and he is very uh, keen on understanding PTSD and, uh, as you said, changing the name to PTSI. And because you said some things in there that, I mean, even in what you've said already, is it's so much to unpack, but let's just start with this piece around this invalidation of something. So what I mean by that is, um, in, I talked about just a few minutes ago where I grew up and the environment I grew up in, it, it seemed to me now, with my knowledge and what I've studied and all those things, that most of the people I knew were in PTSD, um, they just didn't know it. And of course, we never called it that. You know, and we used to call even, you know, I am old enough to remember my uh, grandparents and great grandparents talking about uh, shell shock from the war, which is PTSD, you know, and, 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 but we never really understood it. But at the same time, it was kind of put as this, you have a mental problem and, um, and you've got to kind of like, you've got to shake yourself out of it. And it's not really understanding that it's an injury. And, and I really love that you are bringing it to this thing that's an injury. Because if it's an injury, if I've injured my ankle, I can do something about it. But we don't think about injuries taking place at a psychological level. We think about them taking place at a physical level. But we don't understand that a, a psychological injury um, creates an epigenetic response in the physicality of the body as well. Like you're saying about the amygdala changes. So help us to understand that part, because I, I feel like that's where so many people want to give up and get frustrated in feeling like, you know, nobody understands, or maybe I'm just a nut and, I, and it's just me. Right. So, well, there are actually a number of things to unpack in what you said, but uh, let me give you an analogy that may work. If you look Thank at you. a computer, you have a hardware and you have software. Yeah. So the assumption with mental problems is that, you know, if you look at Freudian thinking and things like that, that if you can just figure out what's wrong, you can kind of resolve that. Right. And that's, that's like, if you look at a program that's defective, if you do a patch, it starts to work right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And then everything's marvelous. But if you have part of your RAM missing from your computer, if you threw it against the wall, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter on the patch you do, it won't work. No. So what I'm saying is that what PTSD or PTSI is, you have a hardware problem and a software problem. Until you fix the hardware, you're not fixing the software. No. So for example, when we treat people who had horrible issues and then, then they come down and they feel much better, they still need to see some therapies to get better. So that's yes. the software. But until you get the hardware under control, you've had a number of people and they're being talked to by psychologists and then they go crazy. Yes. They can't tolerate it. And then, you know, let's say reliving a rape or something it must be extremely horrific. And then people cannot tolerate. It. So they never get to fixing it. So you need this hardware solution and a software solution. And I, I love that you, you make it that clear hardware and software not hardware not software but both the, the both. two things have to work together 
when we talk about PTSD, we tend to think about it in the context of um, people who've served in the military. But, right. um, and of course, that's where it gets the most uh, light shined on it. But trauma, let's talk about trauma in a bigger sense, because I know that you've done an enormous amount of work with, with, uh, with this in the context of vets, for sure. But outside of that, particularly when you talked about rape victims, and there are also people who are, you know, one key thing you said that I just thought was fabulous that I want probably to come back in again and again, which is this sense of the other shoe is going to drop. And, you know, I, I as you know, was a therapist for many years. And oftentimes I would meet these incredible people. I'd work with amazing people who were incredibly bright, who I could recognize had now had PTSD. But that was like the mo like there were two things that ran common, not not good enough, always feeling like they were, you know, were not just imposters, but it was deeper than that. But then on top of that, things are going well, but it, it, it can't last. That bomb is going to drop from the sky, not true, but the bomb. <laughs> it, it, talk to us a little bit about that, because that's very important. Well, to me, I, I look at everything from at least... I'm not a psychiatrist, right? So as you said in the beginning, I'm an anesthesiologist. So my perspective is somewhat simplified. Yes. Uh, but I think it has a validity. If you think about it, let, let's talk about fight and flight system. Mm -hmm. And I think if you understand it in pretty high detail, everything that happens, or at least most of the things that happen, make a lot of sense. Yes. So if you are in fight and flight system, or if it's overactive, Let's say you're running from the tiger in your caveman, right? Let's assume that for a second. So you have to be on hypervigilance. You need to see where the tiger is going. Yep. You need to be always running. You cannot sleep deeply because you may get eaten, right? You're afraid of being too connected, too lovey-dovey, because again, you could die from that as well. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not always on high alert, then that's what happens. And it's very hard on the body. So the part, the body produces something called norepinephrine, which is the cousin of uh, epinephrine or adrenaline. So if you're hyped up on that kind of stuff, your brain is over time, it's looking for things to be afraid of, even if they're not there. So if you can calm that down, then the opposite happens, right? Then you can get some sleep, you can get some rest, you're not being hypervigilant. So part of PTSD is hypervigilance. You're waiting yes. for something bad to happen. And then it's adaptive in a caveman, but mm -hmm. you're not in a cave right now. Right. And also we can talk about epigenetic impact of that, how it gets passed down two, three generations, which is right. a crazy concept to me at least. Yeah. Yeah, generational epigenetic trauma is fascinating piece because um you know uh people like bruce lipton whose work around epigenetics is superb um and, and talks about this whole thing around the primacy of dna and how wrong that is and how off it is um because it's this assumption that it's just the dna as opposed to the epigenetics of the dna which is what's impacted the dna 
and that that is what's passed down and that children are born in a trauma that belongs to their mother or even their grandmother or, or, or their father or whatever it is. It's not theirs. They're just carrying it as, and those, the epigenetic response of the cell can change and therefore the DNA can change. But that key piece, what you said a, a few minutes ago that I I'm really wanting to have people grasp. First of all, we're using terms and I want to be careful not to, to throw anybody off. So hypervigilance is is a, a term that's used in psychology a lot. Um, it's used uh, in discussing PTSD. But um, I know for sure that if you went through any form of an abusive childhood, any form, including neglect, you develop hypervigilance. Now, what does hypervigilance mean? If you're thinking, well, okay, that's, I don't know what that means. Um, I want you to imagine that you walk into a room and the lights are off and you are suddenly become just dynamically aware of every tiny little sound that's hypervigilance your eyes start to adapt to the darkness and you are looking for any change in fluctuation whatsoever that's hypervigilance now put all of your senses in there where you're always on a high alert looking for what could go wrong that's hypervigilance and moreover just so I understand a psychological level is the, so the ego mind is, if you want to think about your ego, don't think about this uh, gregarious individual. Think about the ego mind as a, uh, in the context of it is trying to help you survive. That's its job. It's to help you survive. So it has to develop awareness around what will keep you alive. And, you know, like, like uh, Eugene said, when, you know, being in the cave and the tiger. So that, the ego looks at anything that helps you to stay alive in the past and brings it into the present because the unconscious mind has no clock, has no chronology. And it says, oh, okay, this could go wrong again, i.e. The, 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 the shoe could drop. But that, that um, projection of the past into the present and into the future is very important to the ego mind. So it's always looking for evidence of that which it believes to be true even if what it believes is false. So if you are in your unconscious mind, seven years old in an abusive situation, and that person walks in the room and you know, even at seven, that this is a dangerous situation, you're still carrying that around at 37, 47, 57, 67. And until that gets cleared out of the psyche, that's nothing's going to change. That's software. But if your body's trained for it, that's hardware, and that's what Dr. Lipov is talking about here that I really want us to understand because I know how often I sat with people in therapy and went, this is a hardware problem. I can't get past this. They keep banging into this wall, and I know I'm really damn good at this, but I can't get them past this. And I would say, you know, this is a neurochemical response. This is a biological response. It's not a psychological one, and I'm not a psychiatrist, and I don't believe in the pills the psychiatrist is giving you. So this, for me, when I heard about this, was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant because it's, it's like suddenly the world is – I mean, we have to look at this. I did a video recently called Global PTSD, and I talked about how everybody's living in a state of trauma with – with coronavirus, with the U.S. elections, the political system, the economics of that, people in isolation, we need human beings need contact. 
so it seems to me like like you're on the brink of something that is magnificent and beyond massive is it uh, very nice that i'm over exaggerating or well i again i that's not the terminology i would use but i i think if if i if i may use terminology that i'm comfortable with sure. i think if we can look at a mental health crisis for what mm -hmm. it is and not ignore it i think it'd be huge i think stellate has a lot of a lot to offer in that space not everybody needs the stellar ganglion block not no. everybody's hardware is that far along but for the people who need it it's absolutely could be life-saving and i i we're working with organizations i'm a chief medical officer for stellar centers and the idea is to bring that to every place that needs the united states and out uh, because we're thinking about the pandemic of the virus right now yep there's going to be a mental pandemic, which is going to be crazy. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I was discussing recently, uh, the term people are starting to throw around is election stress disorder. Yep. And then there was a study in 2016 based on the conflictual elections then, and they found that 25% of college students develop PTSD from that. Yep. So this is before coronavirus, yeah. right? So coronavirus by itself is causing all type of problems. One of the problems that may be interesting for you, especially with your background, um, I was looking at the research in oxytocin, the hormone that's produced the bonding during hormone. childbirth, right? The love hormone, people call it. Yeah, bonding hormone, uh, love hormone. It turns hormone. out it has a direct sympathetic lytic effect, meaning it reduces fight and flight system all by itself. Mm -hmm. So you cannot get your hugs, you cannot get your connection right now. Since that's lost, that's another part. That's why it's making this pandemic, psychologic or psychiatric, psychiatric pandemic coming along the way is coming our way more likely. And that's why we need to use things that work fast, which Stellate, for example, works in about five to 10 minutes, as opposed to, you know, how long it takes therapy to work. 100 years pills only 100 years yeah well, <laughs> well i guess there's some type. i mean i'm not minimizing it sometimes <laughs> no, it works very well. I, remember i can be playful with it because i was i in know it. I, but, I, I but it does it. i mean it i mean for the people person going through it it it's can seem like that when people will say well how long does this take and the answer is i don't know because it depends on you then they're two years in five years in ten years in they be it can become a compounding effect on feeling like they are somehow dysfunctional, that there's something wrong with them. You know, I've been coming here for three years, five years, 10 years. How come I'm not still feeling this crap? That then becomes a compounding psychological impact that says, see, it's me versus what you're saying is, you know, 10 minutes and suddenly now you're ready for therapy. So it's not curing you. It's actually making you ready. It's a hardware preparing you for the software. Correct. And some people, that's all they need, but yeah, I, but it depends. It, everybody's individual. And, but I think one of the things to remember, one thing that I love about Stellar Ganglion Block as psychiatric application of it, it changed the paradigm. It changed the incremental change of a 2% improvement is not, some, I, I'm not that patient. 
you know, somebody two, I, I'm 2% better. I mean, what, what, what does that really mean? How meaningful mm. is that clinically? Here right. we have like, we're looking at 70 to 80% improvement, like people working out, it's like, oh my God, I can actually think I can breathe. A couple of things that people just to give you a feel for it. Some of the exciting things I've heard from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I have not been able to take a deep breath for the last 50 years. Now I can take a breath. Uh, we took, took care of a guy who was a Vietnam vet from Ted's effective, uh, offensive from Vietnam. We did Stelly Ganglion block and started crying like a baby in recovery room. I said, what happened? He said, I have not felt an emotion in 56 years. Wow. So he was able to connect to emotion, which is pretty amazing. Again, hardware, right? How are you going to do? And he had another gentleman from Vietnam we treated. He had 40 years of psychotherapy. So my point to him is like, whatever the therapy you're doing, whatever, whatever treatment you're doing, I would say after 20 years, you should cut it off. 40 yeah. years, a little too long. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say that you might <laughs> want to try something else. I'd do something different. Right. <laughs> At least. So, to quote Einstein, it might be a definition of insanity. Clearly. And right. he was close to it. He was suicidal when I met him. So, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, and, and we're already coming towards the end of the uh, part one of the show. Um, but I really want to talk about the impact of really having uh, adrenals that are hyperactivated, uh, hydro- hyperactive uh, amygdala, you know, and the, the impact of that on the body, um, because this is what I want people to understand is, again, when this happens to us, we go into this hypervigilance, there's, a, you know, the, there's a ma- the, uh, the amygdala is hijacked and potentially never released. On top of that, you've got this flood of cortisol, which is always in a high adrenal rate. So, this, uh, you know, like you said, norepinephrine, and we've got all these responses to stress that don't allow us to physic- to, to emotionally, psychologically relax. And people will say, you know, how come you never relax? But there's a, there's a wear and tear on the body with that. And, and I would like, can, can we just take a few minutes before we end this session to just talk about ways for people to recognize that in their own body? Because I want people to have an awareness of like, you know, is the, maybe it's not them and they'll go, okay, good. I know I don't need to go there. But maybe they can start recognizing these are some of the symptoms that show up in the body. Well, so let, let's go back for a second. If, uh, sure. One thing they may want to try, a lot of people are not uh, knowledgeable, let's say, about having PTSD or not. Sure. So we put up a website that's doihavepptsd.org. Fabulous. Doihavepptsd.org. Very okay. simple. Uh, basically, it goes through the standard PCL PTSD checklist questionnaire that's used as screening tools traditionally you probably know about it yep and then people can run it and see if they have symptoms of ptsd so some of the signs physiologic signs of ptsd if the heart rate is fast if you're gaining a lot of weight cortisol will increase weight gain for sure it can also long-term ptsd exposure will reduce cognitive function and potentially increase chance of dementia 
Yes. The other thing to keep in mind is people with PTSD have a chance of having a heart attack is twice as high compared to regular population. Again, that's from the flooding of the cortisol and the norepinephrine and the impact on the vascular system because of it? I think, well, a lot of it, cortisol has a part of it. But if you think about it, if somebody has too much norepinephrine in fight and flight, the blood vessels are shrunken down. Shrunken, yes. And then if you think about it, again, back to the tiger, if you're running from the tiger, you want to shut down the blood vessels yep. so you don't bleed to death. Right. Yeah, but if it's chronic like that, if the vessels are in a persistent spasm, the big build up plaque and so on. So uh, those are some of the signs of that. Wow. Yeah. It's really important for us to start to recognize the impact of these things on our body. And, and I think that, you know, in saying all that, it's important for us also to recognize that we we live in such a highly stimulated world. When you think about where our grandparents lived, the world, we're in a constant state of stimulus. And although a lot of that can be wonderful and marvelous, and I know that I'm a high stimulus individual, um, I also understand that that doesn't let you wind down. It doesn't let you relax. And if you're in a hypervigilant state and you're also stimulated constantly, Right. I mean, when are you going to allow your brain to wind down? So to that, so here's my suggestion, uh, is that you have control of your body and what you do, right? You do not need to watch 24 hours per day, continuous news cycle. My point is be careful because that people do not understand, I don't think very clearly that no. watching news cycle can actually damage you right you know limit the exposure turn off the persistent feed from news and this and that you know just if you can have a let's say two times a day for whatever half an hour 15 minutes check whatever you want to check but don't do it on a continuous basis because not only are you spending the time doing it so physical exercise will reduce your trauma by producing endorphins but if you're yeah. watching tv you're not doing exercise so no. that's one. But the other part is if you are always waiting for the next click of your phone, you're always in this hypervigilant state. And you have control of that. You don't have to do it. No. Um, and again, this is, but that is, again, that's a, a discipline for people around, you know, they don't, I don't think that most people even recognize. I mean, the whole thing is, designed uh there's a, a really great documentary that's out about that called the uh the social dilemma i think it's called um yeah. which talks about the the neurochemical response to social media and yeah we're all set up to be social media junkies we're all mainlining facebook and we're fighting and, with ai we'll lose right yeah exactly <laughs> and the the only thing to do uh it, it's funny because a lot of my friends will say you know i can't get through to you and he goes yeah because when I'm working, my phone is on do not disturb. Um, and the only reason I have it in front of me is there's a timer. That's it. <laughs> and when I go at night, it's in a different room and it's on airport mode. And I don't. So they go, what well, I texted you at 10 a.m. And I go, uh -huh. I was working. <laughs> I'm focused on my work. I'm not focused on looking for that for that or whether the social media or whether the news bleeps. And I'm a news hound. I, you know, I'm 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 studying leadership politically, but 
I know I have to limit that or else it's just vastly overwhelming. We're we already coming to the end of this, this, this section, part one of this amazing uh, interview with Dr. Eugene Lipov. As I said, this guy is what he's doing around the PTSD world and, and changing the way that we understand PTSD is to say the least fascinating, insightful and life changing. I really want you to uh, go and potentially uh, have a look at that website for yourself. Uh, again, it was, what was the website again for? Do I have, P do I have PTSD.org? Right. Do I have PTSD.org? Go on over there, maybe have a look at that. And also, you know, his own website is ErasePTSDNow.org. Um, we'll bring that up again in a moment, but we're going to come back for part two of this amazing interview with the brilliant, who <laughs> would never say that himself, but the brilliant Dr. Eugene Lipov. We'll see you on the next episode.